Welcome to the Looper Podcast, the show where we make the rounds with interesting golf personalities. Here's your host, Eric Payton. Hey everyone, I want to thank you for tuning into the show today. Our guest for this episode is Joel Kreibel, and in my opinion, he has one of the most interesting perspectives on the evolution of the game over the last 25 years. This last quarter century has seen the game of golf change dramatically, and a large part of that is a result of one man, Tiger Woods. Joel grew up playing golf in a pre-Tiger era and then found himself playing on the same college golf team as Tiger. So he had a front row seat to watch, learn, and compete with one of the greatest golfers of all time before anyone knew his name. Not only did he have the opportunity to play against Tiger, but he also found himself staring down a couple other famous names as well. Joel had an impressive college career himself and eventually worked his way onto the PGA Tour. In this episode, you'll get to hear some of his inside stories and interesting golf experiences. I hope you enjoy. This is Joel Kreibel. I'm the university program manager at PXG. Just to start things off, uh, how'd you get started playing golf? Uh, when I was little, I just played pretty much every sport under the sun. I played baseball, basketball, tennis, golf, soccer. Um, so, uh, you know, it was just one of those things that as I got a little bit older, I kind of, you know, figured out which ones I was better at, which ones I liked the most. And, and, um, you know, about the time I was maybe 15 or so was when I started to focus a lot more on golf up until then I, you know, I played maybe three or four months a year. Um, you know, and then, you know, I dropped soccer at a certain point and then basketball and the last two were baseball and golf. And, uh, and unfortunately they were the same time of the year in high school. So when I got to high school, I had to make a choice and, and I just realized that, um, even though I liked them both about the same, um, there were just, uh, fewer golfers who were better than me than there were baseball players at the time. So that was, that seemed like the, the better path for me to take at the time. And that's where I went. And so at what point did you start to realize that, um, competitive golf would be an option, um, that you were, you know, you had the, you had the skills to really make it on a, on a big level? Um, I would say probably when I was about 16 or so, I mean, from the time I was little, I, I always loved sports, just a huge sports fan. So that was always a dream to play some sort of sport, uh, at a professional level, um, and then when I got to, to high school and was able to focus more time on golf, I got um, a lot better pretty fast from the time I was 15 to about 17. I improved quite a bit um, and started to win some, you know, some nationwide junior tournaments, you know, junior world and, and the junior PGA and stuff like that. So um, right around then, I, you know, I realized I could, you know, I could probably make a, a pretty good run at it and, uh, and just continued to kind of pursue that through college and, and beyond. So did you have a lot of schools recruiting you to go play golf? I did. I did. I had, um, you know, quite a few. The You know, I had, you know, UNLV, UCLA. I ended up going to Stanford, but, you know, Texas A&M and USC. And, you know, there was there was a lot of different schools that I was uh, that I was looking at. But when, you know, when the offer came in from Stanford that was equal to the other schools that I was looking at, it was kind of a, a no brainer for me. And and that was a decision I, uh, I went with and I was happy that I did. So what were your dreams like at the, this point? Were you were you looking forward to PGA or were you just like next step was uh, college golf and, and focusing on that? Um, you know, everything was kind of done with, you know, the, the thought in mind that I would play on the, you know, on the PGA Tour when I when the time came. But, you know, I there wasn't much of a chance to leave school early. I really, really enjoyed my time in college and 
Um, you know, so I, I, I was definitely um, hell bent on, you know, finishing that out, um, you know, un- unless something weird came along, like, you know, the, the type of contract Tiger Woods signed, but no, n- not too many people get that, if any. So, um, you know, it, it wasn't too much of a choice to, to leave early or to stay. Um, I, I, I felt like it was a good um, thing for me to do, you know, not only as a, a backup plan if, if golf didn't work out, but um, you know, I just had such a fun time. We had a really, a really cool group of guys on the team. Um, not that we were great after my freshman year. Um, you know, we actually struggled quite a bit those three years, but we had, you know, it was a great experience, a lot of good guys and, and, you know, something I wouldn't have traded for anything. Who was kind of your golfing idol growing up? Who did you want to, who did you uh, imitate and want to be like? Uh, I'd say at the time it was, uh, Freddie couples and Ernie Els would be the two that I, you know, that I kind of looked up to. Can you tell me a little about what it was like, um, in your first few years at Stanford and, and getting used to college golf? Um, you know, it, it's definitely a little bit of a transition, uh, because up until that point, you know, your parents are pretty involved and, and they kind of handle a lot of that stuff for you. Um, you know, not to say that you're, you know, the college coaches and, and coach's wife and all that stuff don't take care of a lot of things for you, but it's just a different feeling. You feel like you're, um, a little bit more independent in terms of, you know, your, the choices that you make and, and how you go about your daily, your daily life. But, uh, you know, once you travel and, and go to tournaments, you got five other teammates and your coach with you and, and, you know, it's a, a lot of camaraderie there, um, so, you know, all in all, it, it, you know, it changed a little bit, but you still have a pretty good support system in college. The bigger change is when you, you know, when you get out of college and you turn pro and then you're, you know, a little bit more on your own. So one of your teammates was Tiger Woods. What was that like seeing and competing against him on the same team and then also against him? Well, I, you know, my freshman year, I came in and Tiger was a sophomore. So it was kind of like I was jumping into the deep end of a pretty deep pool um, in terms of you know, realizing how, you know, at what level the game can be played at. Um, and I didn't, to be honest, I didn't think anybody could get as good as, as Tiger ended up getting at one point at, at, at golf because it's it's a hard game. And he was really, really, really good for a while. Um, but, it, you know, it was it was a great experience. Unfortunately, I missed um, the a bunch of guys by one year, uh, you know, Noda Begay, Casey Martin, um, Will Yangasawa, Steve Burdick, those guys all graduated right before I came in. So, I mean, they had a really, really good team the couple years before I got there. Um, we still had a good team my freshman year, but that, it was a lot of pieces to lose right before I got there. But with, you know, Tiger and myself and Jerry Chang was our three man. Um, the current Stanford coach, Conrad Ray, played four for us. So we had, uh, you know, we, we still had a pretty good team. Um, we didn't quite stack up with, um, a, a couple of the, the top, uh, powerhouses across the country that year, which was, you know, Arizona state, UNLV were uh, pretty dominant that year. Um, so we, you know, we were a little bit behind those guys, but it was, uh, it was an amazing experience getting to play with tiger every, you know, practice just about every day together, um, compete in tournaments with them. Um, you know, obviously it, it, it was frustrating from the point that I wasn't able to win as many times as I would have liked because there, there was somebody there who was winning most of them. But, uh, but it certainly kind of set the bar a little bit higher, made you want to work harder and, and take little pieces of what he did and, and try to integrate and learn from him and, and just continue to improve and, and strive to get better. So at what point did you realize that he was something special? He was something different? 
Um, I'd say, you know, late that year, my freshman year, um, you know, we went along and, you know, I knew he was really good and, and he was winning, you know, it, it seemed like every other, every third tournament for the majority of the year. And then once we got to, and it was, it wasn't pack 12s then it was pack 10s. Um, he, he, he went out at, at pack 10s that year and the first two rounds he shot 61, 65, at the Canyon Country Club, which is a pretty hard golf course. Um, I mean, that 65 he shot in the second round would have broke the course record if the 61 he shot in the morning didn't break it by five. So, um, you know, after two rounds, and, you know, Pac-10 was a pretty competitive conference back then. There was a lot of really good players, and he led after two rounds by 14 shots. Um, and that was just kind of unheard of, uh, to, to do that and just put that big of a whooping on everybody in the field. So he won pac tens that year, then he won regionals that year. And then NCAAs, he shot 80 in the last round and still won by like six shots. Um, so it was that point, he kind of really kicked into the overdrive at, at, uh, the postseason um, that, that year, his sophomore year. And, you know, kind of when I watched him go through those three tournaments and just kind of absolutely destroy the fields, um, I realized that he might be something even more special than what everybody was kind of billing him as. And, you know, obviously his growth continued. There were still a few areas of his game that he he felt like he could get better. And obviously he did with with the way he, you know, I mean, he went out and, and won, you know, within his first few events and, and then, you know, kind of the rest was history. And you, you get to the, um, you know, 99 to 2002 and it was uh, almost stupid how how good he was and how often he won. I mean, he he really made the rest of the PGA Tour look like they were just average, you know, he kind of spoiled the the casual fan and um, thought, you know, it kind of made it look like, um, you know, he was just in a class by himself, which he was, but um, I think it had to be frustrating. It was an eye opener for, for a lot of, you know, guys who were already on tour and established tour players and guys who'd had great careers. Um, You know, here comes this, you know, 19, 20, 21 year old kid um, and he's just beating the crap out of everybody. Um, so, you know, he, he raised the bar for everybody, not only, you know, in college when I was there, but once he got to the tour, um, I think you're seeing kind of the, the result of that nowadays with, um, you know, how, how deep the game's gotten and, and how many good athletes are playing the game now, how, how training has changed, um, you know, how, how important distance is to, um, to being a dominant player. Um, he just kind of changed the landscape and, and, you know, he's a transcendent as anybody's ever been in the game. Um, so this is the 96 season, correct? That you're playing with him? Yeah. 96 was my freshman year. Yeah. So then at the end of that season, if I have this correctly, you competed against him in the USAM, right? Yep. I did. Can you talk about that, that match? Sure. Um, that was, we are up at, um, Pumpkin Ridge up in Oregon. Um, and going into the event, you know, I, I, I kind of had a feeling he was trending towards leaving early and turning pro. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize at the time that there was as many pieces in place as there already was. Um, obviously he'd been talking with Nike and, and some of the other, um, companies and, you know, it was, may, may have been a foregone conclusion, but going into it, I, I, you know, I was joking with them saying, you know, if we, if we play each other, 
and I beat you, you know, you got to stay one more year. And, you know, I, I, he, I think he, he said yes, just to kind of, um, you know, brush me off or whatever. Cause I think he already knew he was gone, especially, especially if he won. Um, and lo and behold, you know, the, the chances of, you know, playing any one of your friends in, in match play in the U S amateur is pretty low. Um, but that's the way it, and you know, that's the way it kind of turned out. And, and we got to the, to the semifinals and it was him and I, and on the other side was, uh, Robert Floyd and Steve Scott. So it was Stanford on one side and those guys were both Florida players on the other side. Um, and you know, we, we got out there and I, I was hot early, um, starting that match. I, I think I shot four or five under on the front and had a couple up lead. Um, and, and the turning point, I'd say we kind of came on number 10 and, and he, you know, he, it was a par three, he missed the green, right. And I hit it to about eight feet. So I had a, you know, looking at a pretty good chance to go three up with, you know, with eight to go. Um, he, you know, kind of raises his chip by, you know, six or seven feet. I lit my eight footer for birdie out. He makes his par putt. The next hole is a par five that he made look like a par four. And, and, you know, he, he got a, got a shot back there and, um, a couple holes later, there was another par five that he made Eagle on and, and, you know, kind of the momentum just really started to shift in his direction, even though I was still, um, you know, one up or, you know, even it really felt like he had control of the match at that point. And that's just kind of the, the mystique he had. And, and he just had, it was almost like he was one or two up, uh, it, you know, even if the match was even, um, he was just that much better than everybody else. And once, once you lose that momentum, it's, it's really hard to get it back. And, and he just, you know, really took it to me on the back nine and, um, you know, he beat me. It was, I think it was three and one, maybe it was the final two and one or three and one, but we lost, you know, I lost on the 17th hole and, um, you know, it was a great experience, but it, you know, it was definitely disappointing because I felt like I was playing some really, really good golf at the time, but, um, you know, it, to beat him in match play, especially back then, was was nearly impossible. I mean, you could you could pull up what his record was for the U.S. Junior and the U.S. Amateur, but you know it was pretty darn close to unbeaten. So, um, you know, you knew you couldn't make any mistakes, and I did make a couple coming in, and and you know, couple that with him, you know, just really tearing apart a couple of those par fives. It was uh, it was a little bit too uh, too big of a hill to climb. Yeah. So then he leaves school. Um, and is there something that stood out to you that you really uh, learned from him and then implemented in your game the rest of your college career? Um, more than anything, it was just how he how he went about his practice. And, um, you know, I, I think just being around that greatness and trying to soak it in, I think really helped. And I didn't have a great freshman year. I think some of that was, you know, attributed to, you know, just getting used to um, playing in college and, and how much harder school was than it was in high school. Um, being on your own and, and, you know, having your own choices and, you know, not really having um, the same rules that you might have had when you were um, at home in terms of, you know, your ability to go out late or whatever. I, you know, I probably you know, too much, you know, too hard of classes my freshman year, probably went out and partied too much, probably, you know, a little bit everything. And, and, but it was a learning experience and I did learn from it. And, um, you know, my sophomore year was a heck of a lot better than my freshman year. And, you know, so I think just the exposure of, of being with him day in and day out and just watching the way he did things, um, really translated to me going forward, how I could get better and and improve and, and try to take that next step. The rest of your college career uh, was pretty impressive. You have one of the the um, 
most impressive um, resumes in Stanford golf history. Is there something that really stands out to you from your college career that you were really, uh, you're really proud of? Um, well, I'm definitely proud of the fact that I was a first team All-American three times. Um, you know, that's, that's not something a whole lot of people can say. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really proud of that. Um, I, I did have a, a couple really good runs in the U.S. Amateur. I, I you know, would have loved to have, uh, you know, converted on one of those because, as they say, nobody really remembers second place. Uh, you know, certainly, certainly I do. But, um, you know, I, I felt like I had a couple chances and, and not everybody gets that chance. And, and to not have nailed one down was a little bit disappointing. But, um, you know, I, I had so many incredible experiences between uh, playing the Masters, uh, the Walker Cup, uh, World Amateur Team. You know, there, there's just some some things that are, um, you know, the memories that I'll take with me forever. And, and you know, it, amateur golf is really, really special. You know, there's so many cool things that you can do when you're playing at a high level. And, and um, I, I just really, really look fondly, you know, back on, on those days and, and some of the friendships that I made and, and um, just the, the great times that we had. Yeah. So there's two events that I really want to ask you about, one being the 97 Walker Cup. Um, what do you remember about that event? It was probably, I would say between that and the Masters in terms of my, you know, what happened during my college years that, you know, kind of one and one A. I mean, the Masters is hard to put anything above that. Um, but Walker cup was such an amazing week. You, you know, you, you kind of meet the guys a, a little bit ahead when you have like a practice session, um, build some incredible bonds. And, um, and it was just such a special week because the Walker cup has been around for so long. Um, the USGA puts, you know, such an importance on, um, on that event. Um, you know, it was at a great, great golf course called Quaker Ridge in New York, um, you know, what I, what I do remember is, um, you know, we, we just played really, really well that week. We, uh, you know, it was a course that suited the American teams really, really well, um, versus, you know, some of the link style courses that they do well at over in Europe. But, um, you know, we, uh, you know, we, we put the hurting on them pretty good the first three rounds to where we almost had it wrapped up going into the singles. Um, but it, it was, um, you know, from start to finish, just one of the best events I've ever been a part of. In the singles, um, you run into a guy who at the time was the youngest Walker Cup player ever, and he's now the number one player in the world, right? Justin Rose? That's right. That's right. Um, he had gotten, you know, a lot of publicity for, you know, what he had done at such a young age. I, I want to say he was either 16 or 17 when he was on that Walker Cup team. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um you know, and, and we did play in singles. We had a great match. It went to the 18th hole. He, he did clip me, um, one up, but, um, we, you know, we had a good, pretty good back and forth match. I think I birdied 17 to, you know, kind of extend the match to 18. And then we both part 18. Um, but he was, you know, you could tell he was going to be something special too. I mean, he showed it at the British open, um, you know, at, at 17 when he finished, what was it? Fourth or something like that. Um, but it was, uh, um, it was a lot of fun competing with Justin. I still, you know, when I run into him at tournaments, we still catch up. He's a great, great guy. I'm, and, and I'm so happy to see, you know, anytime you see somebody that's, that's such a great guy do well, uh, it makes you happy. So, and Justin's one of those guys. So I'm, I'm happy to see his level of success. And, um, you know, I, I, I always root for him when, when he's up near the top of the leaderboard. Then we moved to the 97 
USAM, um, which is right after that year where you'd played Tiger in the semis, and you get to the finals with uh, Matt Kuchar. What 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 do you remember about that whole event? Uh, maybe even that match. Um, that event, I, I remember it. Uh, I remember the course being really wet when the week started. They had a bunch of rain right before, and then the and then the the heat cranked up, and it was so hot and humid that week. Um, I think it was a bit of a disadvantage to the European players because it, it just got so humid. It just wasn't something they were prepared for. Um, but I, I, I do remember, you know, a few of the matches really, really well. I had, you know, one that went to, to 19 holes and, and I made a really good up and down to, to win a match um, early in the week. Um, but, you know, as the week went on, I, I started playing, you know, better and better. I'd had a, you know, right before the, the Walker Cup was a little bit before that. And I, I messed up my ankle really bad playing some basketball a few weeks before Walker Cup. And it was just now kind of healing up. Uh, I, I didn't feel like I was clicking on all cylinders at Walker Cup. But by the time I got to the USAM, it had, you know, it had healed it enough to where I felt really, really good about it. And, and as the week went on, I played better and better. Um, and then going into that final match, I, I felt really, really confident. And at the time, um, you know, Matt was a nice player, but he was a little bit more of an unknown. And, and I felt like I was the favorite going in. Um, not that I was cocky or, or felt like I, you know, I just had to throw my hat in the ring and I'd win. But um, I, I really felt good about my chances. Uh, you know, unfortunately, the, the start of that match, I didn't play very well. Um, he definitely had the momentum early. And, you know, through 26 holes, I think I was something like seven down. Um, and you know, seven down with 10 to go is not a, not a great spot to be. Um, but I, I started to chip away at it. I started playing really well. Um, those last, you know, starting with, uh, with the, the ninth hole of the second round and, you know, I chipped away at it, chipped away at it and I got the momentum on my side and, um, got to where I was, you know, only, I think I was two down with three to go. Um, which earlier in the week I was in that position as well. And I came back and won. So I, I felt like I could do it. Um, but I just couldn't quite convert a couple important putts on, on 16 and 17. And, and that's where he closed me out on 17. But, um, all in all, um, you know, I, I felt good about the fact that I was able to make a charge and make it a match, but you know, it was a little frustrating to not play, um, as well as I, I knew I could the, for the first 26 holes of that match. So then, correct me if I'm wrong, but that second place finish gets you an entry into the Masters in 98? That's right. Correct? Okay. So what was that experience like, especially after, you know, a year after your teammate had just won it by 12 shots, Tiger, um, in that incredible performance in 97, and then you play in the 98 Masters? Um, what was What was all that like? Uh, a little bit overwhelming, but it, you know, it was so exciting that, you know, it, it's like literally from the time you, you know, you, I finished up that, you know, that USAM and, you know, while there was certainly a, a huge level of disappointment that, um, that I didn't win it at the same time, there was the silver lining there that, you know, the, the masters is, you know, what, eight months away or something like that, that, um, that, that I had to look forward to. So, you know, it, it, w- it wasn't like, um, you know, a funeral or anything. Cause I knew there was, uh, you know, there was something really, really cool to look forward to. So, you know, from that point on, it's, it, it was almost like I hit the accelerator on, on practicing, you know, and trying to get ready for it. Um, you know, just weird little things like I'd heard, um, the first time Tiger went, he'd go and, and putt, you know, on, on the, the basketball floor at Maple's pavilion at Stanford to try to, you know, emulate, 
really, really fast greens. So I even went and did that, you know, where you, you know, you literally hit a, a putt one foot and it rolls, you know, 50 feet or something like that. Um, you know, so I, it, it was, it was really fun, you know, just kind of, um, getting into that mode and just, you know, dreaming and, and thinking about what it's going to be like. And, you know, I went back for a trip, um, probably about a month before the event to get a few practice rounds in and, and, the biggest um, surprise to me was how different the course played once the tournament got there versus um, what it was a few weeks prior. Um, it, you know, it just got so much firmer, so much faster. Um, and, you know, when you got, you know, the, the crowds lining the fairways and stuff like that, obviously it's a lot different than, you know, than what the, the course looks like when you're, you know, a month away from the event. But um, it was... Um, just so much excitement. That's, that's the hardest part is, you know, it's there and you can't wait for it to show up. And then, you know, and then finally it's there, but, um, it, it was, uh, you know, like I said, one of the greatest weeks I could have ever had. I, you know, I, I felt like I played good, but not great, but it was, um, it was really, really, um, something that, that I'll cherish forever. And, and unfortunately I, I, I thought there'd be a whole lot more masters in my future, um, from that point on. And, and, you know, I couldn't wait to get another crack at it, but unfortunately, you know, uh, sometimes things happen, they're out of your control and, and, you know, it, it didn't work out that way, but I'll, you know, I'll always have that memory with me. So then you graduate in 99 from Stanford and turn pro enter the, the grind of professional golf. What was, what was the biggest, uh, surprise or difference that you found between college golf and pro golf? You know, just, just the depth of the game. Um, you know, in, in college, if you're, you know, so you, you go out, you're somewhere near the lead, you make, you know, a bogey and a double coming in, you might fall from second place to fifth place. Um, but once you get out on the, you know, the PGA tour, the web.com tour, you know, which was what Nike buy.com back then I play, I played it when it was a bunch of different, uh, different, uh, things, but, um, you know, if you, you know, you make a double and a bogey there, you, you know, you fall, you know, four pages on the leaderboard and you're in danger of missing the cut. So it's, it's the depth more than anything that was the biggest difference. Um, you know, cause the, the top players are still going to be really good, but there's, there's just so many more of them, you know, it's the top, top player from every college team or, you know, top two players or whatever that, that kind of go on and you've got guys anywhere from 18 to, to 49 years old competing out there. So there's just, uh, it's a little, uh, bigger pool that of, of talent really. And then in 2003, you actually earned your PGA tour card, um, at Q school, which is no longer around, but what was your experience like at Q school? Um, God, well, I went to it so many times, <laughs> um, but the, but the year I got through, um, it was at, uh, PGA West in, um, in Palm Springs and the course was set up really, really hard that week. Um, the stadium course is, you know, really hard course. It's really intimidating with a lot of water shots, Island green on 17, um, and, and just a really, really, um, tough course. And, and, they had it set up that year, especially tough because the rough, you know, was six, seven inches tall. Um, so that, you know, if you had water on one side, you know, if, if there wasn't rough, you could just kind of bail out. But, you know, the rough wasn't a whole lot better than, than the water because, you know, on some of those long par fours, you hit it in the rough, you weren't reaching the green that week. So it was, um, 
I, I like that setup because, you know, you're trying to get ready for, you know, for the toughest test in golf, which is the PGA Tour. So I like that it was set up hard. And I and I feel like I play a little bit better on the hard courses a couple years, you know, and, and, you know, obviously there's not the PGA Tour carrot dangling at the end anymore like there used to be. But the scores at the at um, the web.com Q school this year were so low. It was uh, just frightening. I mean, I, I think I don't know that a single player finished over par this year at Q school. And that's, that's a little bit, um, you know, probably too easy. You know, it took such a low number to, to secure good status on the web.com tour. Um, I like it a lot better when, you know, when shooting one or two under par really means something. Um, and, and it did that week. Cause I think the number that got your card was maybe it might've been eight under or something somewhere around there. Um, so it, it, it was, um, it was a great week. It, you know, it obviously meant a lot to me getting through and, and getting my tour card. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, you know, the, the Q school's never, you know, it just hasn't quite been the same since, since you can't go straight to the tour anymore. I, I know there's, um, you know, I, I understand the reasons why the PGA tour went that direction, but you know, you talk to a lot of guys who'd been out there for a number of years. It was frustrating for them to, to not have that ability anymore to go straight to the tour. But, um, you know, that's, that's where the, where the process is now and we'll see where it goes in the future. So do you have a favorite moment from, uh, the 2003, 2004, uh, PGA season that you spent you, almost, uh, 30 events on the tour? I don't have anything that really sticks out. I mean, it, I, I did have a, a really good finish at John Deere one year where I, I had a really good chance to win. I made a really nice run on the on the back nine the last day. Um, got to where I was tied for the lead at one point. Unfortunately, uh, bogeyed the the last hole and ended up a couple shots back of the playoff. Um, so that you know that was a, a special week because I actually you know it was my first time having a chance to win out there. Um, you know, but in general, I, I didn't feel like my game was quite in the in the condition that I was liking it to be um, when I was on the tour. Um, I felt like I played a little bit better, you know, my last few years in college than I did after I turned pro. And, you know, injuries had a little bit to do with that. But, it, you know, it was certainly frustrating to not feel like I was clicking on all cylinders because if, you know, it, if I was as confident as I was earlier, you know, in, in like like I was in college, I feel like I would have been a little bit more successful but you know the the line between playing you know average and playing really really good is so thin um and just that little bit of confidence can can make such a difference and and it was certainly frustrating for me to not uh feel like my best foot was forward out there so can you describe what your current position and role is with the game of golf uh right now i work for um pxg i run the the college um, program there, so I, you know, not only look after the uh, university players, but um, also working on um, our web.com tour staff and you know mini tour staff stuff like that. So, um, you know, just kind of helping out guys that you know the that are looking to make that jump, you know. And I have so many fond memories from my college days, my amateur days, that um, I really, really enjoy um, working with the guys at that level. Um, you know, I have some experience I can speak to those players about and, you know, it, it's just such a special time because they're, you know, they're going through some great times and, and learning a lot about life, about golf, um, and, and trying to, you know, to get to that next level as well. So, 
um, it's it's a lot of fun for me to to work with the kids. Keeps me feeling you know relatively young, even though even though the times times going so fast right now. But uh, it, it's a lot of fun to work with the college kids. I've got a great group of coaches on the teams that we um, that we look after, and uh, and it's been great. Yeah. So, what do you see as the biggest difference uh, in the college game from when you were playing till now? Um, it, it, the college game now is a lot more um, like the PGA Tour than than it was back then. Um, there, there's a lot more money in in the programs um, nowadays. I don't know if it's more from fundraising than anything else, but um, you know some of the facilities that that these schools have now are just unbelievable. It's like a little mini arms race going on in terms of. You know, they, they all have their own practice facilities now, great courses to play at. Um, some of the teams fly in private jets. You know, they they get great meals. The courses are probably better now than they've ever been that they get to play. Um, so I, I just think it's turned into more of a big business now than it, than it used to be. Um, you know, back, back when I was playing, I, I mean, I can remember we had um, one year where we almost drove to every tournament we played in college. Um, our, our team wasn't great and we didn't leave California too many times, but you know, it's certainly a departure from, you know, some of these teams, uh, you know, like I said, flying private, you know, going down to Cabo and staying at these luxurious resorts and, you know, eating five-star restaurants and stuff like that. Whereas we were more like Denny's and McDonald's and driving, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's a bit different now. Um, just, uh, you know, I, I think it's just more money than anything. It's more business and, and the coaches, uh, to their credit, do a great job raising money so that their teams can, um, you know, get a taste of that lifestyle before they get to that next level. What has it been like to see the transition of the game from when you were in high school uh, to now? Um, this has been kind of the biggest, one of the biggest explosions of the game, um, kind of as a result of the Tiger boom, you know. Um, and you've had an interesting perspective on both sides of that. Uh, what has that been like? Um, I think the biggest difference is, uh, and I mentioned this before, is just the depth of the game. I think, you know, once, once Tiger kind of made his splash, um, I, I think the landscape changed because even when I was in high school before Tiger really made his mark, um, you know, you weren't really a golfers. Yeah. You didn't really think of them as athletes. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't go out and, and publicize the fact that I played golf. I, if anything, tried to hide it a little bit. Um, which, which is weird. Uh, you know, he, he made the game cool and, and, uh, with the amount of money he brought in, people started realizing how much money you can, you can make playing the game. And I think consequently, there's so many, um, good athletes playing the game now that might've gone a different direction if, if he hadn't come along, you know, you got guys like Dustin Johnson, you know, and, you know, maybe he would have played a different sport. Uh, you know, Gary Woodland was a good basketball player. You know, there, there's there's good athletes that are, you know, guys that look like linebackers and, and power forwards that are that are now playing golf. And, you know, you're seeing it with, you know, how far these guys hit the ball now. And, you know, it, it's it was only a matter of time with that amount of money um, that people could make that some of these guys who are great athletes say, you know what, I'm going to go this route because because I can make just as much money doing this as I could you know, in another sport. Um, so I think that's the biggest difference. You know, when you look at the game 30, 40 years ago, it seemed like a lot of the guys were in general, a little bit smaller. It was never considered an advantage to be somebody who was, you know, six, four, six, five playing golf. Um, but nowadays you see it all the time and, and it's, it, it can be an advantage if you can harness that power. And, and, you know, the game is just, 
deeper than it's ever been. There's so many good players out there and the lines just, you know, between, um, success and failure is, is, you know, getting thinner every day. So one, one final question that I always like to ask people is, uh, what's the, your favorite course you've ever played? Augusta National, uh, hard to go against that. I, I mean, especially when you've gotten a chance to play it in, uh, you know, in tournament conditions. Um, it's, it's just so special because you can think back over the years of different um, shots you've seen by some of the iconic players in the game. I mean, just because it's been there for so long, you know, and, and so many um, of, of, you know, golf's Hall of Famers and, and all-time greats have played there and had success there. It's like you can think back to the, the great shots you've seen on TV. Um, it, it, it's hard to put anything else above that. That's very cool. Well, Joel, um, it's been great talking to you. Um, thank you for uh, taking the time to talk. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed being on. Um, great chatting with you, and, and thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and rate The Looper wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Looper Podcast. Talk to you next time.